Let's go ahead and pray. Father, again, the privilege of just opening your word. Would you uh, help me now give your good word to your people just so that we can receive it and understand it and see Jesus more clearly? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week, um, if you remember, what we talked about was preaching. Jesus uh, is early in his ministry, he sets the stage for that, and what he emphasizes is not necessarily what people see. What people see is um, this demonstration of power in all these different places. Jesus heals people, and Jesus exercises demons, and so on, but Jesus goes on the record and says, Uh, We, rather than set up shop here, even though the whole city is coming out to see me, rather than do that, I came to preach. I came to speak. I came to communicate. I have something to say. And so he set it out and he said, I'm going to move on to the next town and so on to preach, to communicate. Now this week what I want to talk about is hearing. It's not as easy as people think it is. Um, If you get the background of this passage, one of the interesting features of it is Jesus is on this strange route in this uh, part of Mark. He's still in a Gentile region, you know, he's been there for a little while, and he's decided to travel south, kind of like me, decided to travel south by going due north. Uh, He's taken this long route, and he's going to this place called, this, this little region called the Decapolis. It literally means ten cities. And in that area, there was a, there was a person called Legion, you know, this uh, man who was possessed by a legion of demons. And nobody in the city there knew how to deal with him. But Jesus comes on and on the scene and actually has authority over any the, the man is healed, has authority over the demons, casts them out, and the man is healed. Well, that demonstration of power freaks out the city. And so rather than be really interested in what do we make of him, what do we, how do we respond to him, they asked him politely to leave. They were so afraid of his power. Anyway, on some level, Legion must have been a decent evangelist because, uh, in the region anyway, because Jesus, when he comes back, upon arriving, what uh, there's a group of people do, what they do is some people bring a deaf man to Jesus and ask Jesus to heal him. And when you look at the passage, two things are really obvious, right? You look at the passage, two things. One is the man's problem. He's, he's deaf. And he also has a speech impediment, which is pretty common among people who are deaf. So that's one thing is the man's problem. The second thing that's obvious is Jesus' power. And his power here is just undeniable. I mean, when, when John, and he's like the other gospel writers in this sense, when, when John lays this out, part of what he's doing is he's answering a question. Like, like, who's the one, or what do we make of Jesus? You connect those two things. right? In the Old Testament, there was a promise that God said, I'm going to send a Savior. I'm going to send one who's going to fulfill all of these Old Testament promises I've made to you, all these expectations. So look for the one. And Mark's thesis is, Jesus is the one. So on one level, Jesus is the promised one of God. He's recreating. He's bringing order out of chaos. He's pushing a 
back the effects of sin, and here that's deafness. So he's the one. I'd just like to suggest, though, as you think about that, not only is he the one, but the implications of that go, go further than you would maybe imagine at first blush. In other words, there are things that are said about him that we go, oh, look, look at this demonstration of power. That is true. We see that here in Jesus. But maybe more than that, there are implications of that that affect how we relate to God. So here's where we're going to go this morning. Uh, as we think about the ability to hear is often way more important than we think. And I want to point out like, a, a primary impediment of deafness the power of the one who can change it, and the most important thing really that hearing, or at least true hearing, gives you. So that's where we're going this morning. Let's start with that first one, what, what deafness impedes. And it kind of helps us understand maybe a little better what this man is going through who's been brought to Jesus. Now, the biggest barrier that the deaf has, I want to propose to you, is not as much physical as you think. It's essentially relational. Um. He's got these friends who bring him, not to maximize his potential. Uh, it's not as though like, oh, he's got this physical defect. Think of all the other things he could produce or do if he could only hear. It's because something is wrong. It's terribly wrong, right? It's terribly difficult in this life without, uh, without hearing. Now, uh, people who work in the field of psychology talk about, like, sometimes if you have a deficit in an area it creates a strain on the person, you know, emotionally, psychologically, how they see themselves, how they operate in the world. And that's true with deafness as well. The two most common symptoms connected to deafness are depression and frustration. So there's like an angry response at just being frustrated and not being able to do what everybody else around you can do, or a sad response. This idea that, I, I, and, you know, I, I can't operate the way everybody else operates. Why is that a big deal? Well, you might think, oh, well, at first blush, when you think about it, maybe it's just the inability to do what everybody else can do, the inability to do the, quote, normal. But that misses it. The, the psychological root of that, if the manifestations are sadness and depression, the root of that is actually like this relational impasse, the impasse of isolation uh, or a current towards that I want you to think about it. How do you enjoy uh, expressing your personhood and all of that? It's connecting with other people. And part of doing that is the ability to, that it gets deeply stifled and challenged unless you have the ability to share meaning. Unless you have the ability to look at the people around you and engage back and forth with them, right? And to connect. Now, how do you do that? Well, you're going to do that by speaking and hearing. You're going to do that by right, communicating with that person. What if you lost that? What if you lost the ability to hear, and what do you think that would do? What kind of impact do you think that would have on your ability to connect? There's an expert in this area, a lady named Claudia Duane, who said that hearing loss can create, and I just thought this was profound, psychological solitary confinement it's like the idea that if you can't hear you can be alone in the proximity of all these other people right why because how do they engage 
they speak and they listen and they engage verbally like that. They transact so many things verbally. And somebody who has this physical impediment doesn't have the ability to operate that way. And there are things you can do to overcome it, but it's, it's like walking through life with a limp, right? Just in a different area. When they've studied children, they've noticed frustration and resultant disconnection. The, uh, the inability, if a, you know, a child born deaf or a child who goes deaf, the inability to kind of learn how to uh, articulate things in nuanced ways, uh, things that you might imagine would go with, you know, if you think, well, isn't sign language a substitute? Yeah, on some level. But have you, have, have you ever heard your, your spouse or your, I don't know, your mom and, and tone is a big deal. Like there's a difference when growing up whenever my mom said something tender and sweet and whenever she said like my middle name uh, along with my first name or there's an angry response, right? That's called nuance. Uh, pace and tone and pitch. And you just hear that in the way somebody says something. You can hear sadness. You can hear joy. You can hear warmth. As soft as those things are, it's, a difficult, uh, it's difficult to cross the chasm of connection, or the, the, you know, if you're going to get there, without verbal expression back and forth. Helen Keller, uh, you know, probably the most famous person um, in, you know, in our area uh, who was both deaf and blind, and she said... You know, if you ever, I mean, you know, if I told you, I think it's harder to be deaf than it is to be blind, you would go like, well, what's your opinion worth? You can hear and see. I think it's an interesting question, though. Which would be the more difficult to operate? So here was somebody who couldn't see and couldn't hear. And she had this to say. She said, the problems of deafness are deeper and more complex, if not more important than those of blindness. So you get that when she's comparing them. She's saying, I think it's much harder to, to not be able to hear. Deafness is a much worse misfortune, for it means the loss of the most vital stimulus. That, that thing, what is, that, what is the loss, in Helen Keller's opinion, of the most vital stimulus? She says, the sound of the voice that brings language sets thoughts astir and keeps us in the intellectual company of man. Or to put it more simply, she said, blindness cuts one off from things, deafness cuts one off from people. I mean, it, what's the great impediment? I just, I just want you to know it's, it's not just physical. Um, it's relational connection. Because of what you and I just assume every day, the ability to see somebody and interact with them and to speak and to listen and to receive and to share meaning from the other person. Now, this man, is not just the, he's not just operating from the inability to receive sound. This is not just physical, it's the encumbrance to something much deeper. It's, it's essentially relational, to receive and enter into relationships that come through sharing meaning and ideas and emotions and experience. And of course, we use verbal exchange to do that. You have to hear. Now, there's a reason I'm belaboring the point. Let's go to the passage here, and we'll, let's talk about the power of the one who can change it. But as we do, I want you to think what he's changing, and it's probably more than just the ability to physically receive sound. And of course, we're talking about Jesus here. And he does several things, and they're pretty interesting. I mean, I think whenever you, you see other um, scenarios in which Jesus performed a healing and demonstrated his power, this one has a couple of unique features. 
So let's just walk through it. At the beginning of verse 33, uh, look at that with me. It says, and Jesus taking him aside from the crowd privately. So the first thing he does is he leads the man to a private place. Notice there's a crowd there, right? And here's the crowd, here's the setting. And if Jesus' real motive was so that the crowds would applaud him, he would do it right there. But instead, what Jesus operates for some reason to pull the man aside and to do this thing privately. Now, we're not told exactly why he does that. It, it, it could be <clears throat> as simple as because this man is potentially going to be made a spectacle and he's been enough of a spectacle throughout his life and Jesus just doesn't want to feed into that. Uh, it could be in consideration for him. Keep in mind, there's a crowd there and he doesn't want the first thing this man hears to be the voice of a crowd. That could be overwhelming to the senses if you've not heard. And so maybe it's, maybe it's that. Maybe it's also, uh, or something like this, that Jesus isn't really trying to draw attention to himself because the power demonstrations have been there and people keep misunderstanding what Jesus is about with them. And so that Jesus, as he gets the message of who he is out there, there it's not enough just to say, uh, look at this power demonstration. But for whatever reason, he leads the man aside and deals with him privately, so he takes him to a private place. At the end of verse 33, it says, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. So he, he touches him. Now, I, I got to admit, growing up in rural Oklahoma, whenever I was a kid and I saw this passage, my favorite part was not so much the healing, because I was, you know, as a boy, I liked the fact that he spit. Now, I don't, it doesn't go into detail about, like, what the whole thing was there, but I just thought that that was cool, kind of like, you know, because I grew up watching Clint Eastwood in movies, and if you've ever seen the outlaw Josie Wells, you know, like, he, he was an accurate shooter, but he was an accurate spitter, and the idea that I ranked Clint Eastwood a little too high and Jesus a little too low, the spitting part helped me. But it turns out as I've gotten older and matured theologically that um, the way I was assessing the passage, let's call it imbalanced, okay? <laughs> but still, it's, it's rather unique, right? But he touches him. You have to remember this man can't hear. And so there's something of a sign language there that goes. He, he can't hear and he can't speak. And Jesus is telling him through touch, it's going to be this, it's going to be this, it's going to be your ears, it's going to be your mouth. He's not healed by touch in this episode. Keep that in mind. Jesus is simply communicating to him, you know this thing you're dealing with here and this thing you're dealing with here? I'm about to address that, and he can't hear him. Third thing he does, look at the beginning of verse 34. And looking up to heaven, he sighed. He sighs. Um, little thing. Isn't it interesting, as efficient as Mark is, he includes this little detail. We don't know what this guy looks like or what anybody's wearing or how many are there, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There are like hundreds of details that you could probably think of that aren't mentioned here. And, and Mark inserts this one. He sighs. Why do you sigh? It says he looks up to heaven and he sighs. You ever do that? You sigh. Have you ever catch yourself doing that, not intentionally sighing? 
I don't know, working away at your desk or um, you see something that, that, that's like it's already broken your heart, whatever the situation is, it just uh, does it again for the thousandth time. And involuntarily, you don't tell yourself, I'm going to sigh now. You find yourself sighing just as a release, that weight, that burden. And what Jesus is doing, he looks up to heaven and he sighs. He's, he's just assessing the burden and the weight of what this man is going through uh, in a fallen world. And so he sees the weight on this man, and that's difficult, and he feels for him. Look at the end of verse 34. Let's look at uh, the end of verse 34 and verse 35. So he looks to heaven and he sighs, and he said to him, now stop. Who did he say? Uh, You know, who's the him there? Jesus said to him, him who? You know, the guy who can't hear? So he's speaking to a guy who can't hear him, right? So it says, and he said to him, if fatha, that is, be opened, and his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. What Jesus does here is awesome. He commands wholeness. He speaks to a man who can't hear him, and the man who can't hear doesn't have any choice but to respond. So that little uh, word, ephatha, is Aramaic. That's Jesus' native tongue. That's his language. And what it means is be opened. So what is closed, metaphorically, what's closed, the ears and the mouth, he says, stop. You open. You do your job. You hear, you receive, and, uh, and, and be loose so that you have the ability to speak. And even the seemingly irreversible effects of sin have to retreat at his command. Jesus commands wholeness. You do what I say, and it does. This man's ears comply, his mouth complies. He says to the man who can't hear, hear me. And the man does. Jesus has awesome power. I just want you to know, uh, we, we see this in a simple, you know, few-verse episode and that sort of thing. If this man was uh, dealing with this issue for a long time. He's seen everybody who could do anything about it. So whatever else he is, he is completely beyond the reaches of human doctors. And so Jesus touches him. That's not how he's healed. He commands. He speaks. I got, remember I said early that what we see Jesus doing here is very God-like. That's because he's God the Son. Bringing order out of chaos and good creation. Um, and reversing the effects of sin. And then the final thing, in verse 36, he tells them not to talk about it. It says, And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. Now, I grew up, there's a theme in Mark that Jesus does this and they don't listen. And I grew up with people being, you know, being Baptists, we want to be good evangelists, we want to share the good news. There is a way to be saved, you can only be saved through Jesus, by who he is and what he's done. And it's a good thing that we tell people about Jesus. And Jesus' work is finished now. And so that, you know, we're told to do that. But I can remember preachers saying, well, Jesus told them not to do this, but they did go off and share uh, the good news about Jesus, and that was a good thing to do. Listen, if Jesus tells you not to do something, it's not a good thing to do, okay? If you're disobeying Jesus to do what you think is a good thing, and, and you can extrapolate that into other areas. You find ministries or people justifying the ends, like this is a good thing for the Lord, and um, um, doing it in ways that violate what God has said in his word. We shouldn't dishonor the Lord Jesus in the way we represent him. 
So here, whenever he says, don't tell, that's the good thing there. And then whenever he says, tell, after his cross, burial, and resurrection, that's what we're called to do. But the question is, why? I think it shows up again and again in the gospel. What, what we see here is a token, right? That we'll get to that in a minute. But the most likely thing that people are going to do is they're going to take a power demonstration from Jesus and they're going to misrepresent who he is and what he's here for. I, you see heartbreak on people who come and they're, they're seeking God, but they're seeking God so much like uh, when the people gathered around Jesus who fed the 5,000. Were they seeking Jesus? Yeah, but what were they seeking? Well, maybe they were seeking Jesus or maybe they were seeking a meal. And what Jesus has to offer is something so much greater than that. Maybe people saw these demonstrations of power, like the ability uh, to heal a deaf man or a blind man or a lame man. And are they seeking Jesus in those episodes? Or are they seeking something more? And Jesus has something more to offer. Uh, the, the, the problem is, is you see a demonstration of power like this, and the easiest thing to do is mess it up. And the picture doesn't come into focus with Jesus. It's why he says, wait, wait, wait. Until his death, burial, and resurrection. Because that's what he came to do. To bear sins so that the guilty, all of us, could be forgiven. And to overcome death so that those condemned, the wages of sin is death, could find life, right? It wasn't going to come into focus until then. All right, let's talk about that last thing. And the last thing is this. Um, it's, it's seeing this healing as a token of something more. What, what you see is actual healing here, actual physical healing, and Jesus does that. This man can't receive sound, and what Jesus does is open his ears so that he can do that. But what I want to propose to you is that this is something of a token or a sign of one thing that Jesus is actually and ultimately going to do that he does for all of us going into the kingdom. That there's something great that's lost and we get it back. Um, spiritual deafness is a sign of spiritual sickness. Like the idea that God's word is there um, and you can't receive it is a sign that something's wrong. And where are you going to go to, to get that remedy? Well, there's only one, the power of the one who can change it. And this, when you see this, what should you think? Should you think, well, Jesus should be like, you know, a, a doctor who heals people. Or do you see in this, Jesus is the one who can fix what's fundamentally broken in me. And I've got this relational impasse that's even greater with just you and me. I've got something that goes beyond that to God. And so look at verse 37 with me. Notice how the people respond to him. It says, and they were astonished beyond measure. Uh, it's a cool phrase to go, he can't rank it, right? If it's beyond measure, you could say, well, you know, they were pretty astonished or they were really excited about this. But what he's saying is, I can't describe this in a short setting because what they saw there, they were so blown away that you, you just really couldn't measure it. Beyond measure was their astonishment whenever they see what Jesus has done in this uh, man. And this is what they were saying. He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute to speak. There are echoes of Genesis here. He has done all things well. Um, 
In Genesis, Genesis, there's the creation, and God declares, this is good, this is good, this is good. And they're saying he's done all things well. Jesus is recreating what's been marred by the fall. I just want you to know, they're saying here better than what they know. In their setting, um, there's going to be an anticipation, even those connected to the Jewish religion in in Gentile regions. For example, the, the prophet Isaiah... In Isaiah 35, 5 and 6 said this. So look for the one. Who, who is this one going to be and what, how are you going to know it's him? Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf, uh, deaf unstopped. Then the lame man shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. So when Isaiah prophesies, he's saying look for this. But there's something more here. This is, this is what's going on in the kingdom. This man re-enters the community, and this is what they take note of, precisely because of the, the burden of the effects of sin, right? The deaf hears and the mute speaks, and that's what's happened to this guy. And Jesus has done it. Isaiah prophesied that this is what this guy's going to have the power to do, and this is what they saw right before their eyes. <clears throat> I just want you to know that there's a deeper kind of deafness, and there's a deeper kind of hearing. And Jesus has taken aim at this fundamental deformity that is physical. But there's also something spiritual. Have you ever, you've probably felt this way if you've, if you've been married. Um, I hear it sometimes where somebody will say, my husband, maybe my wife, but my husband doesn't hear me. And what they, what they mean by that is not the physical inability to hear what they mean by that is, I'm communicating, but my spouse isn't receiving what I have to say. There's not a connection. There's not, we're not sharing meaning, right? We're not connected. Matthew Henry was an old faithful commentator, and he said, none are, those, none are so deaf as those who will not hear. Um, we're talking about the kind of hearing that goes beyond ears that work. Hearing's a big deal. So like if you take a, uh, a little survey of Scripture, uh, one of the things that you see with hearing is that it says things like this. In Romans, it says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And Jesus is going to say after he preaches the, the parable of the soils, take heed how you listen. And he talks about it. And if you just surveyed Mark, for example, he talks about the, how the, the seed is the Word. It's God's Word sown. And how do you receive it? And people receive it differently, and some don't receive it at all. And how dangerous that is, they don't hear. But so you could do that. But like, for example, if you look just before this passage, Jesus calls out to, and in chapter 7, verse 14, um, he calls out to uh, the people and he says, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There's a deeper kind of hearing that goes just beyond deciphering the words. Or in chapter 8, Uh, verse 18 where Jesus says having eyes do you not see and having ears do you not hear you can hear me but do you hear me there's a big thing lost in the fall so you you know man is uh, Adam is walking with God in the garden and he hears him right God speaks to man and he hears him and sin comes in and he is removed from God's presence. And that, that's lost, that the, 
There's no longer, there's, there's no relationship possible there now because of sin. No, there are no words now, you can't hear them. That's not possible, so how do you get that back? And Jesus is the only way. Uh, he has to touch you. He has to touch you where it doesn't work, the ears. He has to transform your hearing so you can hear God and enter into relationship. That's the one thing that Jesus will accomplish in this ultimate way, that what was lost in the fall is to bring you back to God so that you can enter into relationship, and that's accomplished on the cross. So what, what you see there physically, um, sure, that's a, that's a power demonstration, but that's a token of something uh, greater. That's the, that's the great benefit of hearing is the ability to respond to God and share meaning and enter into relationship with Him. This healing is a token or a sign of a more ultimate deafness and a more ultimate hearing. Jesus touch and power is what's needed here. So if sin makes you deaf to God, where no relationship is possible, Jesus opens up your soul to hear him and enter into one. In other words, when you read this passage, should you go, Jesus has the ability to heal a deaf man? Yes. And you should also go this. You should also say this to yourself. There's a great implication here that this is one little demonstration of his power to reverse the effects of sin, and he's going to do many, many more. And it's all aimed at this, that what was lost in the fall and what was ruined in the fall is for Jesus to cover and bring us back so that we can have a relationship with God. Um, so here's the, the basic recap on it, right? When you think about deafness, um, it's, it's not just a physical thing. It's a relational barrier. And Jesus is the one who has the power to transform uh, all of that through uh, what he did on the, on the cross. Or to put it this way, God is only beautiful. Only do we know his wonder when we can hear, as it were, and share with him in love. This episode is a token of grander things. So think about the grander things. The import is this. Believe in this one, Jesus, so amazing, so powerful, that he can give you ears to hear. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your son who has the power to reverse the effects of sin. And uh, we know you have a word for us in scripture and the gospel. and We see it in Jesus. Uh, give us ears to hear so that we can enter into relationship with you. Give us ears to hear so we can flourish in relationship with you. I pray for believers here. Um, that they wouldn't harden their hearts, and that they would walk with you. And I pray for those who don't know Jesus here, uh, that you would open their ears so that they could know you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.